This morning's sermon will be on Lord's Day 1. Switch the Catechism sermon and the Free Text sermon because this afternoon there's public profession of faith. And I promised the students already the text that I'd be preaching on quite a number of weeks ago. So sticking by that. So this morning we're focusing on Lord's Day 1, our only comfort in all circumstances of life. And in connection with that, we'd like to read several passages, two passages at this point in time before the sermon, and we'll be reading another passage during the sermon. Let's first turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, reading the verses 38 through 42. There we read in God's Word, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. And then secondly, turning to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, reading the verses 4 through 13. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. As far as our readings, let's sing together of our reliance on God for all we stand in need of in life with Psalm 27. We're focusing this morning on what the Bible teaches on the topic of security and life. 
And we do that along the lines of how the church has summarized that teaching of the Bible in Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. And in Lord's Day 1, we confess the following. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. In response to the sermon, we'll sing of our dependence upon God with Psalm 121. Dear children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, guests, anxiety, it's a big issue today. It's an issue for many individuals as they strive to get the most out of life, and they just don't seem to be able to pull it off. There's anxiety about one's own health, the health of loved ones and those we're responsible for. There's anxiety about finances, making ends meet, paying the bills, keeping your job. Anxiety about the level of taxation that's required to fund extravagant plans of the government. There's anxiety about the actions of governments. Are governments doing enough? Are governments into overreach? Looking at the world scene, you look at Eastern Europe, the Ukraine, what's Russia up to? What's going on with President Putin? Is all of this just about Ukraine, or are we going to see consequences for Taiwan, for example? What's our future world going to look like? Anxiety is huge in our time. So how should it be addressed? How can we enjoy peace, true peace? We just read in Scripture, do not be anxious about anything. We'd love for things to be that way. But how do you achieve that? How do you find true peace? How do you find inner peace? And answering that, we need to put all things in the right perspective. We actually have to see the big picture to overcome anxiety to combat undue concern, we need to understand who we are and how we fit into our context, into our environments. You know, it's so easy to become anxious about the wrong things 
or to be anxious when there's actually no need to be anxious. Or even worse, to to be anxious about some things, so anxious that you overlook the things you should actually be anxious about. Only once we understand ourselves, our context, can we find the kind of security that will help us deal with our anxiety. What's the only thing that is necessary that will grant us the good portion? What is true comfort? So that, as question two asks, we can enjoy life. We can experience joy. What allows us to be content in all circumstances? This morning we're turning to Lord's Day 1 of the Catechism. It opens with a very personal question. It asks you as an individual, what is your comfort? Now, that term comfort is open to misunderstanding. The catechism is not asking about what makes you comfy in life. Nor is it just asking just about what gives you consolation in times of trouble. The the word comfort here is broad. It's, It's more robust. The term here is about safety. What makes you feel safe? What makes you feel at ease? What relieves your anxiety? What is your security? And so we listen to God's Word on our security with this theme, I confess to be secure in Christ. And we'll consider the three reasons that are presented in Lord's Day 1. For Christ covers my deepest need, for Christ covers my every need, for Christ covers my need forever. I confess to be secure in Christ, for He covers my deepest need. You know, in life it's very easy to be concerned about things that are right in front of your nose. And, and, and you, just, you just get on with dealing with it without stepping back for a moment to think, is this really the issue? It happens in financial circumstances all the time. An individual, I'm going to call him Joe, he seems to be running out of money all the time. And like most, he uses credit cards when he's in the store or making purchases online. But the thing is, he's forever carrying a balance on his card. Joe is sinking into debt. And since the problem is not enough money, Joe figures he needs more money coming in. So he begins to look for sources of income besides his regular job. And among others, he figures, I'll open a, a savings account, a TFSA. There's money to be made there, and the interest is even tax-exempt. Now, if you know a little bit about money things, this immediately makes clear that Joe's need isn't more money. Because there's no way a TFSA is ever going to fund a credit card balance. Rather, Joe's deeper need when it comes to his finances is to become money smart. Or at least get himself a good financial advisor. The sort of thing happens in the medical world as well. You go to a walking clinic with a specific complaint. You have this certain ache. The doctor checks you out and concludes, oh, it's a passing pain. Take some Tylenol. Take some Advil. You should be okay. And you do so. And indeed, the ache subsides. But of course it does. 
Tylenol and Advil are painkillers. They're designed to kill the pain. But whatever's causing the pain is not being addressed. And if the pain doesn't go away by itself, your actual medical need is not being addressed. While you're taking painkillers, you feel okay, but in truth, you are not okay. And it happens at times that a simple ache is a sign of a serious condition, like cancer or a heart condition. Recognizing your deepest need is vital to being relieved of anxiety. We read how the Lord Jesus once was invited into the house of Martha. Mary, her sister, is there as well. And while Jesus was at her place, Martha was very engaged with making sure that the Lord Jesus was comfortable. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that Martha herself was in the kitchen. Uh, the impression you actually get is that Martha and Mary were people of means for inviting Jesus into your house. Also meant inviting all those people who were with him, the disciples. Don't think that Jesus was having a one-on-one -on -one with Mar Mary in, in the living room, something like that. And that, that Martha was then distracted in the back kitchen. Now, the picture that you should have of the scene is a bit like this. The disciples, as well as Martha and Mary, they're with Jesus. They're listening to him teach. But then there are all sorts of these practical things that need attending to. Does everybody have something to eat and drink? How are the meal preparations going? And assuming the welcome also meant lodging for the night, that's a suggestion of the original words used, were the rooms and the beds all in order. Martha wanted to make sure that everything was perfect. And she gets frustrated by the fact that her sister Mary isn't lifting a finger. And when she voices her frustration to the Lord Jesus, he responds by calling her busyness being anxious and troubled about many things. That's how the ESV translates it. Martha was anxious. She was upset. She was worried that things wouldn't be good enough. And these concerns troubled her to the extent that they were getting in the way of what the Lord Jesus called the one necessary thing. And he praises Mary for choosing the good portion, for not getting distracted by earthly cares and concerns, but using the opportunity presented to her to focus her attention on the kingdom of God and on God's righteousness, God's will for life. So was it then wrong for Martha to be involved with much serving? In and of itself, not. But the thing was, she was getting distracted by it. And her solution for her distraction was to want to share that distraction with Mary. But that, the Lord Jesus points out, that doesn't meet the deepest need that a person has. Here is an opportunity to sit at the feet of the crown prince of creation, the savior of the world, the wisest man who'd ever lived, the Christ of God. Here is an occasion to hear about salvation and about eternal happiness. Mary is choosing the good portion. Good portion. That's an Old Testament phrase for fellowship with the Lord, for belonging to God, as we sang with Psalm 27 verse 2. Or, or think of Psalm 73. For he whose steadfast love is sure will be my portion evermore. 
Now was not a time to, to get distracted by earthly cares and concerns. Mary has laid them aside, and Martha should have done the same thing. And anxiety is huge these days. Like Martha, we're often anxious and troubled by many things, and we get so distracted. Um, just one example. Take a Bible and have a look at 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. The Apostle Paul there notes how married people are anxious about pleasing their husband or their wife, and that this gets in the way of them serving the Lord. This is one of those passages where you might think, God, are you really on about this? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 32 through 35. I would like you to be free from concern, free from anxiety. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. An example of getting distracted. Beloved, realize that your deepest need is to be right with the Lord. As Jesus said, just one thing is necessary, is absolutely necessary. It's the good portion of belonging to the Lord. And that's why my comfort, my security, is that I belong to Christ. For in belonging to Christ, I belong to the Lord, to the triune God, to the one true God, to, to Yahweh El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Because you see, my, my deepest need is shaped by my identity. Think on this. Who are you? Why? are you? Another catechism opens with the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate goal of human life? And the answer given is to praise God and enjoy Him forever. In the final analysis, we humans exist for the glory of God. In the final analysis, you exist, not for yourself, but for the glory of God. That's why, for example, when we pray, we pray first and foremost for the glory of God. That, that's the first petition that the Lord Jesus Christ taught us. Hallowed be your name. And it's the last thing that we mentioned in that very same prayer. For yours is what? Is the glory. In the final analysis, life is not about my relationships, about me being comfortable, about my health, about my finances. All of that is relative. The Lord Jesus even once said, and this is extreme, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus 
belonging to Jesus. That's more important than even your own life. If you've got to choose between life and Jesus, choose Jesus. For only through Jesus can you be your true self in service of the Lord. Your greatest anxiety, it isn't poverty or sickness or even losing a child or going through a marriage breakdown. Your greatest anxiety is serving God. Your greatest fear is the name of the Lord. Your deepest need is to be right with God so that you can be with God. And now, we're only just scratching the surface on this. You'd hear need, more about this deepest need as you, as you wend your way through the first few Lord's Days of the Catechism, as you delve into the precise reality of our sins and misery, and especially as you hear instruction on how great those sins and misery are. For now, for this moment, let's realize our security isn't money in the bank. It's not the best specialist ever. It's not the comforts of modern life. It's not our relationships. Our security, my security, your security, is belonging to Jesus Christ. Everything else, it's extra. And God may well bless us with those things. They're nice, but they are not truly necessary. As Christ said, Sermon on the Mount, do not be anxious about your life, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. And that's why the Apostle Paul could write to the Philippians, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Yes, in whatever situation. That's because Christ covers my every need. We've come to our second consideration. There's a line in Lord's Day 1 that may cause people to raise their eyebrows. When I was a rookie minister, I had an elder ask me, like, really? It's the line, He also preserves me in such a way that all things must work together for my salvation. Now, I've had people ask me, really? All things? My salvation? Just think about what that's saying. Just a few things. Um, government measures, be it health-related, be it the ban on conversion therapy, be it with respect to the Ukraine... All things working for my salvation. My relationships, my family, my friends, my marriage, whether things are good or whether things are bad, working for my salvation. And they have to, must work for my salvation. Let's tease that apart a little because as you make your way through the catechism, You'd study that in great depth. The focus here of all things is salvation. My deepest need is to be right with God so as to be with God. Now, being granted that deepest need, that's what we call salvation. And there's two aspects to that salvation. There's the to be right with God aspect, and there's the to be present with God aspect. 
I have to be right with God. God has to be good with me. And I have to be with God. God has to be with me. And both those needs are covered by Christ. My, my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, makes things right between me and God. For He has paid for all my sins with His precious blood. Everything I owe God to be right with Him is provided me by Christ. And most pressing on this score are my sins. That is, my selfishness and, and everything that flows from it. Uh, when I worship money alongside God, uh, when I disregard God's day of rest, when I disrespect authorities or disregard, have disregard for the honor of other humans. Sins like, like Martha's concern uh, to look good in the eyes of Jesus and his disciples and figuring that she was doing too much and her sister Mary was doing too little. Everything that detracts from God's glory and God's holiness is sin. And with sin in my life, I cannot be right with God. But now this is my security. My faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, takes care of my sins. I don't have to make things right with God myself. Christ does. There's nothing that will stop God from receiving me into His presence. Mind you, that's only true if I'm also saved from slavery to the devil. See, my, my problem isn't just that I've become a sinful being and so my sins need to be dealt with, my selfishness. My problem is that I also voluntarily distance myself from God and that I've put myself in the camp of God's enemy, the devil. The devil has power over me because I allowed it to happen. And so I need to be set free from the devil to be able to return to the kingdom of God. I need to be rescued. I need to be saved from the kingdom of Satan. And that too is accomplished by my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He fought the devil and he won the battle. And so instead of belonging to the devil, I now belong to Jesus Christ. Instead of the power of evil holding sway over my life, it's now the Holy Spirit who renews me. And because Christ is God's, and I am Christ's, I belong to God. That's salvation. I'm right with God, thanks to Christ. And I'm present with God, thanks to Christ. All aspects of my deepest needs are addressed by Christ. And that's truly comprehensive. The Apostle Paul writes, in whatever situation. The Catechism catches this with the phrase, with body and soul, both in life and in death. The phrase body and soul makes clear, I am secure with every aspect of my existence. You know, in our world, there, there's a heavy emphasis on the physical, on the material. There's a great preoccupation with physical needs, perceived physical needs. Things like financial security, health security, and then the extras, pleasure. But now, with a view to materialism or this physicalism, we can say, all I need for my body is given me through Christ. I am secure for all my physical needs. 
in today's Christianity, there's a heavy emphasis on the spiritual. That was actually already common in the days, the first century after Jesus. It's a matter already addressed, actually, in the New Testament. Back then, it was a thought movement called Gnosticism. It was this philosophy in society, and it had its impact on the Christian faith. For example, it, it, it's at bottom Gnosticism that led to the conviction that Jesus Christ never was a human being, or that He never physically arose from the dead. Well, you could say today we're seeing a neo-Gnosticism in Christianity. As in life on earth is, is all about getting properly into the next night life, uh, into heaven, which is the real life. The idea that there will be a physical resurrection of the body, it's downplayed, if not even denied. Because life is all about entering spiritually into the presence of God. But with a view to such spiritualism, we can say all I need for the soul is provided by Christ. I am secure for all my spiritual needs. But now realize, in Christ you are far richer than both the physicalist agnostic or the spiritualist Christian. For all things must work together for my salvation, both the physical and the spiritual. As the Catechism points out, quoting words of the Lord Jesus, down to the physical hairs on your head. And through to the desire that lives in my heart. With body and soul. No aspect of my existence is beyond Christ. Again, the Apostle Paul says, in whatever situation. The Catechism also catches that with the phrase, both in life and in death. Now that phrase, in life and in death is open to misunderstanding, especially in the English language. It struck me when I studied it that the Catechism doesn't say, as hymn 64, our Rhine version, does say, it doesn't say in life and death, but it repeats the preposition in, in life and in death. And in question two, the nouns that are used are actually not nouns anymore, but verbs in order to live and die. You see, the Catechism isn't saying that belonging to Christ is my comfort, my security when I am alive and when I am dead. The thing is, when I am dead, I don't need that security. For when I am dead, I am literally with Christ and with God. When I am dead, I don't live by faith anymore. I live by sight. The point the Catechism is making is that belonging to Christ is my security as I live and as I die. The thing is, not only is Christ my security as I live my life, Christ is also my security as I face death, be it in my bed at home, be it in hospital, in an ICU, or be it as that semi-truck jackknives right in front of me on the coke. There's not a moment in my life that Christ's care lapses. He is my security right up to the moment that I actually die. Now, as to how Christ covers my every need, that's a long story. 
so long you can spend roughly half a year of Sunday afternoons covering that. That's Lord's Day 5 all the way through 31. But for now, let's just simply note, Christ covers my every need. That's the secret of the Christian faith. As Paul states it, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Or as we sing with Psalm 121, all evil strikes at you in vain. The Lord will keep your life. The original actually says soul, secure in woes and strife. And with that, we're beginning to move into a third consideration. Christ covers my need forever. Because Psalm 121 continues, when you go out, when you come in, the Lord will fill you never, but keep you safe forever. Now, it's tempting at this point again to think of immediate needs, things like food, shelter, health. But we've got to think again of our deepest need. There will not be a moment in my life when I don't belong to Christ, where my sins are not covered by Christ's blood, where I'm not free from the power of the devil. And to make, indeed, to, to make sure of this, and to make me sure of this, Christ sends the Holy Spirit into my life. The Holy Spirit makes me ready and willing to live for Christ. Willing. I want to serve Christ. Ready. With the power of sin broken, I am now energized to do good, to do the right thing by God and others. And as we already noted, it's so comprehensive, so thorough, that it's not just superficial, that it's not something just on the outside. I am made heartily willing and ready. From now on, Heading into a cycle of catechism sermons, you're confronted with many aspects of our needs, with the many promises of God, and with the authoritative guidance on how best to serve God in thankfulness for His salvation and seek His help in doing so. For, beloved, it's one thing to have this security. It's still another to live and die in the joy of this comfort. Yes, joy. Not stoic endurance. Christianity is not suck it up, sit it out, let it happen. It's joy. Joy even in the face of sickness, poverty, relationship breakdown, insecurity with respect to government and society. For beloved, this is the joy of serving God of becoming that person which God has always intended us to be. Someone who puts God above all else. Who loves others without putting themselves first. Someone who serves God with diligence and always turns to God for grace and for the Holy Spirit so as to live the good life. The comfort, the security of belonging to Christ brings the joy of satisfaction. It brings the joy of faith in God, whatever comes our way in life. It is the joy, for example, of the prophet Habakkuk. Though the fig tree doesn't blossom, though there are no animals in the barn, I quote, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. It's joy. 
even if the societal and political issues of today make me anxious and uptight, even if I am upset by the things that happen in my personal life. It is joy when I am challenged by serious illness or even a breakdown in relationships. I think of Psalm 72. Even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will be there. I confess to be secure in Christ. Yes, here's the secret to joyful living in Christ. Congregation, be content with Christ. Be content in Christ. Your anxieties are real. Don't misunderstand that. But believe and confess that your God is greater than your anxieties. If you don't know Christ, come to know Him. If you do know Him, come to know Him better. For Christ addresses your deepest need. He addresses it comprehensively. And He takes care of things forever. There's no need to fear. Have faith. Amen.